Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 118. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. You know, it's not too late to cancel that summer trip to the beach. That is, unless you like being killed by giant jellyfish. We bring you Drabble News. Check this. Special thanks to listener Stalin Says for posting this in our forums. Researchers say that giant jellyfish are taking over parts of the world's oceans as overfishing and other human activities open windows of opportunity for them to prosper. Jellyfish are normally kept in check by fish, which eat small jellyfish, and compete with jellyfish food such as zooplankton. But with overfishing, jellyfish numbers are increasing. Experts believe that for the first time, water conditions are leading to what they call a jellyfish-stable state, in which jellyfish rule the oceans. The combination of overfishing and high levels of nutrients in the water has been linked to jellyfish blooms. One such jellyfish is called Nomura. It's the biggest jellyfish in the world. It can get 440 pounds, that's as big as a sumo wrestler, and get 6.5 feet in diameter. These huge creatures burst through fishing nets and destroy local fisheries with their ravenous taste for fish eggs and larvae. Mmm, larva. How strange is it that these things that are taking over the oceans are almost completely made up of water themselves? There's just one percent, a thin, almost transparent layer of gelatinous goo that stands between our oceans being hijacked and ruined and our oceans being pretty much just water again jellyfish stable state my ass listen here jellyfish if anyone's gonna ruin the oceans you better believe it's gonna be us humans we can't just sit around and let these greedy sumo-sized jellyfish bastards control an ocean monopoly and squash species diversity and stifle marine creature capitalism clearly the government needs to intervene with some sort of antitrust regulation before it's too late before nerdy, tech-savvy jellyfish start bundling Internet Explorer into Windows to create a software monopoly in the Intel-compatible jellyfish PC market. Before large, finance-lending jellyfish merge to control and mismanage the secondary mortgage market, causing a jellyfish recession. And before frou-frou, slapdash, socially-minded, free-spending, tree-hugging, black-rimmed, glasses-sporting, Jack Kerouac-reading, organic soy latte-drinking, foreign independent film-watching, Birkenstocks with socks-wearing, jellyfish liberals gained control of all three branches of tripartisan jellyfish government. Or Republican jellyfish. It doesn't really matter. The point is, we need checks and balances. We need to develop and train giant mutant sea turtles. Who's with me? Write your congressman today. Tell him you're fed up with monster jellyfish and you want your tax dollars to fund giant mutant combat terrapin research. Suck it up, Chrysler. So, time for a hundred word Drabble story. Our Drabble this week is called Qua Future Conundrum. Special thanks to listener Devora for the fun name. It comes from listener Jake Webb, who's a 17-year-old kid living in Hawaii. We aired a Drabble by Jake a few weeks ago called The Good Doctor as part of Drabblecast episode 113. Hope you enjoy. I was alone in my apartment when the time traveler appeared. He materialized silently and cast his glance around the room frantically. 
Is this February 11th, 2012? He asked officially. Yes, yes it is, I stammered. He stiffened. Then there is no time to waste. The fate of the world, of every world, rests upon your shoulders. What should I do? Never get your hair cut again. Having delivered his message, his expression eased, and he disappeared without any fuss. Thoroughly perplexed, I ran my hands through my tangled hair and pondered what to make of the traveler's baldness. Our feature story this week is called The Relativity Prison by Igor Tepper. Igor teaches old Adams new tricks at temperatures near absolute zero. He's been fighting a losing battle with reading addiction since age seven, and easy access to a university library has only made things worse. His fiction's been published in Strange Horizons, Abyss and Apex, and Nature, among others. The Relativity Prison first appeared in Abyss and Apex in October 2005. So without further ado, The Relativity Prison by Igor Tepper. I sit at my computer, stone still, statue still. As the keyboard slides around under my hands, keys jump up and bang at my outstretched fingers, and characters appear on the screen. The words on the screen may reflect my thoughts, but since I am aware of no causal link between the two, perhaps it is my thoughts that reflect and anticipate the typed words. If that is a paradox, it is a minor one, given all else that has happened. I was walking home from the observatory one evening, about five months ago, when whatever this is struck. One instant I was moving my feet, pushing off the sidewalk with each step, and the next I was frozen, and the pavement was drifting beneath the soles of my shoes, rhythmically knocking against them hard enough to bounce them up into the air like some kind of possessed treadmill. As the ground rolled by, bouncing me along, I struggled to break the paralysis that gripped me and tried, desperately, to form in my mind a framework in which this would make sense. Before any of this happened, I had, on several occasions, awakened from a dream to find myself unable to move or speak for what seemed like tens of seconds, I was told that this is a generally harmless condition that occurs when the mechanism that normally causes one's muscles to become unresponsive during sleep remains active upon awakening. What I'm experiencing now is very much like that sleep paralysis, and indeed, I have more than once over these past several months awakened immobile and composed myself with the assurance that it was only temporary. 
before remembering. On that first day, my condition remained unchanged, despite all my physical and mental efforts, until I was deposited at the door of my building. Whatever process had been moving me along abruptly ceased after propelling me up the porch steps. Before I could begin to entertain the hope that I was free, my keys jumped out of my pocket and into the lock, dragging my hand with them. The door opened and the porch knocked me inside. Being bounced up the stairs felt like running up a downward escalator, or perhaps down an upward one. Liz greeted me when the door pulled me into our apartment. Terrible suction tugged at my mouth, and when it opened, a wave of pressure hit my abdomen, and air rushed out past my vocal cords. I heard the sound come out, and I recognized it as speech, but didn't, couldn't, process it. The floor jerked under my feet, as if someone behind me had pulled on it, which sent my arms flailing open, wrapping around Liz's waist. I saw the look in her eyes just before our lips met, and I knew, I knew that she was also afflicted. For every action, according to Newton's third law of motion, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And Einstein's theory of relativity says there are no preferred frames of reference in the universe. An outside observer would thus be fundamentally unable to determine if my fingers are striking the keys or if the keys are striking my fingers. Only I can know. My bed slides out from under me each morning. My clothes grab at my hands and envelop me. Pressure differentials between the inside and the outside of my mouth force food in and words out. Floors and ground glide beneath me, and when I'm pulled and pushed into the driver's seat of my car, the pedals press on the bottoms of my feet, and the steering wheel tugs at my hands. It took weeks for me to convince myself that my condition is universal, and I'm still not entirely sure. It's almost always something in the eyes, and sometimes also in the corners of the mouth. Resignation. I had to learn to look for it. Otherwise, the illusion of volition is perfect. Everyone looks as if they're just going about their business, even as their business is going about them. But what if there are still some who are unaffected? They wouldn't know to look for the signs, couldn't even conceive of the possibility of what's happened to the rest of us. And what if I was one of the last to be stricken? How long could this have happened to those around me without me noticing? Days? Months? My whole life? The worst is when our bodies, only no longer ours, make love. It's worse than rape. I hope Liz forgives me. I try to forgive myself. The work at the observatory goes on, uninterrupted. The stars move. The telescope collects and records the particulars of their motion. The computers process the data that comes in. 
The staff act as intermediaries between the telescope and the computers, much as before, only now our actions are as automated as theirs. One side effect of my condition has been a growing detachment. Once started, it is a self-reinforcing process, increased perspective on all the pettiness and arbitrary cruelty that permeates human relationships leads to disgust in my involvement in those interactions, which causes me to further mentally distance myself from them and so gain an even more detached perspective. If humanity was to be punished for the way we have lived, I can think of nothing more appropriate than being forced to watch from a distance as our lives unfold. And yet, there is an awesome beauty about this kind of world that I can't help but admire. Whereas before we each went our own way, now the universe is balancing us all, all at once. This balance binds us to each other, truly and inextricably, and not just as humans. Every living thing on the planet now moves in tune with the rest. Is the loss of volition really too high a price to pay for the poetry of such a dance? Perhaps this is really how it all ends. Not in fire or ice, nor with a bang or a whimper. Not in anything at all perceptible as an ending, but rather in the picture-perfect clockwork continuation of everything that came before. Or maybe it's only a temporary condition, and humanity's capacity for willful action will be restored as suddenly as it was stripped away. Until then, nothing remains but to wait. I'm waiting. Well, that was our story. I hope it enjoyed you. Let's catch up on some story feedback from a story we ran a couple weeks ago called Arms and the Man by Mary Terzillo, a romantic story about a woman and her squid. Got mixed reviews. Chivalry Bean said, the main story didn't really go anywhere that off the beaten track, aside from squid relations. Girl meets guy, guy proves to be unfaithful, girl eats guy for dinner. Literally. The plot wasn't all that amazing. It was amusing, though, and I was bummed that it ended so soon. An enjoyable tale that suctioned my mind off my dull work for a few minutes. A plot can be ordinary if the characters are interesting and or out of the ordinary, which these were. Poor Turtle, on the other hand, said that this is one of her favorite episodes. The song, the drabble, the story, just awesome. Vance M., not so much. He said, mixed episode. Don't get me wrong, I love my Drabblecast. The Hubble song was genius, and for a brief second it sounded like Eminem. Oh, thanks. But the squid story, I could have gone without hearing that. I almost threw up my breakfast. Even though the story did not go into details, my mind kept filling in the blanks. I know, I know, the Drabblecast is all about weird stories and all, but this one just seemed nasty and pointless. Blech. Well, to each his own, I guess. So we're starting something new. The Badass Listener of the Week. We'd like to take a minute to recognize a listener each week who's donated some cash to help us with the show. This week is Andy Roper. Andy specializes in the restoration and repair of historic windows. Special emphasis is placed on preservation techniques to maintain historical integrity. Andy says it all started because he lives in a connected farmhouse with 67 windows. 
Dear God. So if you need some windows done, check out PineMountainSettlementSchool.com, which we'll have linked in our show notes. You the man, Andy. So don't forget, we've got two contests going on right now, our weekly 100-character TwitFit contest and our annual Nigerian Scam Spam email competition. Find details about both in our discussion forums at Drabblecast.org. Congrats to J.M. Perkins, this week's TwitFit winner. Friend us on Twitter to see his 100-character story. I love it. Well, that's it for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, just share it all you like. If you can, help us keep the show going strong week to week by donating to us via the links on our website, Drabblecast.org. Either contribute once or subscribe for $5 a month. And don't worry, as much as we'd like to give to Mega Turtle Experimentation, your support helps us pay authors for their work. Fooey. Other fun stuff you can do. You can join our forum community to talk about stories and weird news around the world. You can buy Drabblecast merchandise, like t-shirts. Or you can subscribe to Drabblecast B-Sides, our other fiction podcast, which should have a new story popping out soon. All of that stuff you can find on our main page at Drabblecast.org. We'll see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that sometimes you can also see it in the corners of their mouth. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all slurred when spoke. Well, some amazing progress in the war on... Monster jellyfish. And wait until you hear how our military is doing it. Joining me now, retired U.S. Navy Captain Chuck Nash. He's also a Fox News military contributor. Captain, good morning to you. Good morning, Megan. All right, so there are... Mutant sea turtles. ...helping the U.S. military. And tell us what they're doing. Well, I have to be careful and dance around this a little bit because once upon a time I used to work classified programs in this area. Right, so, right. So we will stick uh, with reportedly for you. Right, so we'll stick with reported stuff. And it's feasible that you could take... Mutant sea turtles. You Very know what? Plausible. Now, when I picture this, I think, okay, if I'm a... Monster jellyfish. And I see some... Mutant sea turtle. Run by, I'm going to think, <laughs> wait, that's not good. Uh, yeah. I, think... I want to play an excerpt from an interview that Palin did with the CBS Evening News anchor Katie Couric where she was asked about monster jellyfish. Listen to this. Why isn't it better, Governor Palin, to spend $700 billion helping middle-class families who are struggling with health care, housing, gas, and groceries, allow them to spend more and put more money into the economy instead of helping these big financial monster jellyfish it's got to be all about mutant sea turtle creation so health care reform and reducing monster jellyfish has got to accompany tax relief for americans and we've got to see mutant sea turtles as opportunity not as a competitive um, scary thing Joining us now, the author of Godless, Ann Coulter. We had this Supreme Court decision today. Uh, your background is in constitutional law, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, because I think it's a dreadful decision. Um, yes, and I haven't read the decision. In fact, the idea of applying the Geneva Convention to um, to, to these... Monster jellyfish. Uh, ...who do, do not abide by the laws of war. Um, I saw, heard earlier in your panel someone defending the decision saying um, the president is subject to checks and balances even in the conduct of the war. Well, n not entirely. He is the only man the Constitution gives the commander-in-chief powers to, um, and you're not going to have checks and balances on determining whether to use... A mutant sea turtle. ...or a different sort of weapon for 
that power is given to the commander-in-chief, and I think he should ignore the Supreme Court ruling. Well, they will be right back. More with Ann Coulter and Kirsten Powers. And coming up, should Rush Limbaugh face charges for his recent Viagra confiscation? Um, I would submit to you that in this case, uh, this is one case that... Mutant sea turtles. ...is not a solution. Mm. And Mr. President, how do you propose to bring... Monster jellyfish. ...under a system of law? Yeah, I, I was going to pick up the phone and say, Mr. Secretary, I got an interesting question. This is what delegation... I don't mean to be dodging the question, although it's kind of convenient in this case, but never... <laughs> I really will. I, I'm going to call the secretary and say, you brought up a very valid question and what are we doing about it is that's how i work i'm uh um thanks <laughs>